Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Thanks be to God. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Well, let's exchange greetings this morning. Good morning. You know, honestly, sometimes I just come up here and I'm like, I don't know what to say, so I'm just going to say that again and again and again. So there's my, (laughs) the confessions of a pastor. I mean, anyway, or I just pray, which is what we're going to do now. So, um, but that's not like a transition thing. It's like, no, we want to start and end everything we do with prayer. So let's continue this posture in worship uh, in and through prayer. And I've said this a few times, the most common posture, physical posture of prayer in the scriptures is actually arms outstretched. But um, if you would join me in just opening your hands up, maybe on your lap, maybe on top of your Bible, whatever, just as a posture of, Lord, I'm here to receive what you have to give me. And I'm letting go of all the things that I try to hold on to. So let's pray with that posture in mind. Our Father in heaven, we know that in the silence you are here. We know that you are drawing us toward you. God, you're pulling us towards you. And so, Lord, I ask that we would not resist. That our hearts, our minds, our ears would be exactly how we are physically positioned, Lord, with our arms and our palms wide open in full surrender to you. Holy Spirit, clear the dust of our minds, of our hearts, of our fast-paced lives that just never let us settle. Holy Spirit, paint a picture of who you are. Paint a picture of who we are, that we can look to you, God. We can look to you, Father. We can look to you, Jesus, and we can see life as it was intended. We can see beauty as it was intended. We can see everything you've created in our lives, every situation you've put us in, every person you've brought into our lives, every person you've taken out of our lives. That we would see you, Father. Father, fill us with yourself. God, you promise You promise, Lord, a peace that surpasses understanding. I pray for that right now. Lord, you promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. And I know that there are people in this room who feel that you have left them and feel that you have forsaken them. God, remove those lies. 
Father, you have promised us that you are in us, transforming us into your image, bringing about the hope for the entire world. And I know that a lot of times we have no hope. In our own lives, in our relationships, and as we look at the world. So God, be true to your word. Fill us with your hope. Fill us with yourself. Fill us with your glory, we pray. We pray. We pray. And we ask these things in your son's name and by the power of the spirit. Amen. Amen. This morning we are going to start a uh, new mini-series for the rest of the summer. And we're taking a break from Matthew. We're in between Matthew Movement 1 and Matthew Movement 2. We'll pick up Matthew Movement 2 in September. But we are going to spend eight weeks in the book of Psalms. Now, I've told a few of you guys that before this morning, and I kind of got a few like weird looks, like we're going to go through 150 Psalms in eight weeks. <laughs> yes. We, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I did the math. That would be 18.75 Psalms per week, and we're not going to do that. We're barely going to get like one per week. No, we're, rather what we're going to do for the next eight weeks is we're going to tra- do a little biblical theology. And all God's people said, we're going to do a little biblical theology. What we're going to do is we're going to trace a theme, one theme throughout the, the book of Psalms, the, the entire Psalter. One theme. More specifically, more precisely, we're actually going to trace one word, one word through the entire um, Psalms. We're going to get to that word here in a second, but the theme, uh, I hope, is pretty apparent. It's, there's a giant hint on the screens behind me, in case you haven't picked it up on yet. The theme is true flourishing. True flourishing. Why this theme? Why did we pick this theme? What does true flourishing mean? What, why? Well, there's a lot of reasons uh, that we chose this theme, but one of the reasons is because there are a lot of voices in our lives. There's a lot of noise in our lives. We live in what's called the information age, which means that information is just like constantly at our fingertips more than any other um, generation in human history, right? Like, you can only go, like, seconds without knowing something. Like, you were like, oh, who is that actor? Or, oh, what was that restaurant? Or, oh, how do I reseed my lawn? Which is what I looked up a few days ago. And you don't know the answer for, like, a couple seconds. And then you know the answer, right? Well, with all that information, with everything that's going on in our world, there's a lot of voices, a lot of voices, and they're all telling us something. They're all telling us something. They're telling you how to live. They're promising you the good life. They're promising you flourishing. They're promising you happiness. And it's subtle. It's very subtle that we actually deceive ourselves to think that we're not affected by it. That, oh, like, well, no, that's not. I know, like, you know, if, if I walked past a billboard and it said, don't love Jesus, like, obviously, I know that that's a message. Like, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about all the little everything that we see, that we hear, that we look at throughout the day. It's trying to tell us something about what the good life is, what flourishing is, what happiness is, what contentment is. And we know it's a lie. We know that most of the, the noises in our world is a lie. How do we know that? It overpromises and it underdelivers, right? That's how we know that most of the world today is a lie, right? Because it overpromises and underdelivers. It overpromises. We are told that if we offer ourselves and we indulge in consumerism, individualism, entertainment, or being the self-made man or woman who doesn't need anybody else, then we will make it in life. We'll be happy. Just get more of that thing and you'll be good. 
Just do your own thing and don't let anybody else affect you, you'll be good. Just numb your senses with entertainment and social media and you'll be good. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, live the American dream, and you'll be good. It overpromises. You'll flourish. You'll be happy. People will look at me and they'll say, man, he's got it all. She's got it all. Our stress and our anxiety will magically go away if we follow this way and if we do this thing and our discontentment will dissipate. It overpromises and it underdelivers. You know how it, un- I know, we know it underdelivers. When was the last time you bought something on Amazon and you saw it on your front porch and you opened it and you just looked at it and you said, oh my goodness, I never need to buy another thing on Amazon ever again. This has done it. This has made it. When was the last time you watched a movie or a show or a football game, let's just say the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, you know, for example, and they won, obviously, because they're the best, and you thought to yourself, I'm completely satisfied, I never have to be entertained ever again. Like, that did it for me. When was the last time you got that raise or that bonus or that new job and you sat down and you kicked your feet up and you said, wow, I'll never have to worry about finances again. I'll never have really annoying coworkers again. When was the last time you got in a relationship or out of one and you thought, man, alive, this is it. This is everything I've ever wanted. No. Now, listen to me very clearly. I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm not saying entertainment's bad or buying things on Amazon is bad or watching the Notre Dame Fighting Irish win a football game is bad. What I am saying is that if we put everything in those things, we will always be dissatisfied. They will always overpromise and underdeliver. Consumerism, individualism, entertainment, being the self-made Ankeneite that we are supposed to be will always overpromise and it will always underdeliver. C.S. Lewis says, Lewis says it this way. If we find ourselves with a desire, an itch, that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. J.D. Greer asks it this way. He asks this question. If life didn't change for you at all from this point forward, would you be content? If your situation right now never changed from this point forward till the day you die, would you be content? If your job never changed from right now till the day you die, if your career if your marital status or relationship status never changed, if your body never changed, if your friends never changed, if your location where you live never changed from this moment for the rest of your life, would you be content? If the answer is no, then what that means is that our flourishing, our happiness is based on our circumstances. It means that we are putting our hope into something that will always overpromise and underdeliver. So then the question becomes, well, how do I live a life that leads to that flourishing, that contentment, that happiness, that wholeness that we've been looking at in the Sermon on the Mount for the last months? How do I live a life so that even if I am in the darkest valley, I'm not afraid? How do I live a life so that even if nothing changed in my life at all, none of my circumstances changed, for better or for worse, from this day forward till the the day I die, I never got that promotion. Your child never surrendered their life to the Lord. You never looked or talked like him or looked or talked like her. You would still be content. How do I live my life so that if I lost everything, everything, you'd be able to look at the Father and Jesus 
and you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit and you would see his love for you. How do you live that kind of life? That's the question, right? And that's the question we're gonna be exploring the next eight weeks through the book of Psalms. What is that kind of life? Is it possible? Is that kind of flourishing in life possible? Is that kind of happiness, that kind of contentment in life possible? The next eight weeks, we're gonna find out what really characterizes a flourishing person, true flourishing. The next eight weeks, we're gonna try to mute the noise and the voices of what others say it means to live the good life, and we're just gonna look at the scriptures. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna start with Psalm 1. So if you haven't already, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 1, the opening of the Psalter. One more caveat before we begin. I'm gonna say the word flourishing a lot. I'm gonna say the word happiness a lot. I'm gonna say the word contentment a lot. And some of you, you know, if you've been around the church for a while, you might be a little like nervous because there's this popular anti-gospel called the prosperity gospel that basically says if you, you know, just have enough faith and believe hard enough, or if you give enough money to the church, or if you whatever are nice, then you'll be happy, and you'll be good, and you can drive the nice car like me, and you can do, that is not at all what we're talking about. That is called the prosperity gospel, and odds are if you have to put a word in front of the word gospel, it's not the gospel, so that is just not the gospel. What we're gonna be talking about is a life of flourishing that doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter if you're on the highest high, the lowest low. It doesn't matter if you're the richest person or the poorest person. It doesn't matter if you have the most friends or you're the most lonely in life. What kind of person flourishes? That's what we're gonna look at. So with that, let's turn to Psalm chapter one. This uh, psalm is divided up into three sections and these three sections will be on the screen and this is probably the first and maybe last time that I'll have three points in a sermon. I mean, I don't, that's cool, but I don't, do, where, can we, oh, there we go. We have the actions, we have the image, and we have the outcome. That's what this psalm is divided up to. What kind of a life leads to flourishing? What kind of a person lives a true flourishing life? First, we have the action. The actions that this person does. This is verse one. Follow along in Psalm chapter one, verse one. It says this. How happy, okay, let's stop right there. (laughs) Sorry, I had to. How happy, two words in. How happy is the one, now some of your guys' translations might say blessed. How blessed is the person? This is the uh, Hebrew word for, uh, ash, uh, it's pronounced ashrei. I think this will be on the screen, yeah. It's pronounced ashrei. Can you guys say that with me? Ashrei, no, that was an easy Hebrew word. Wait till we get to a few gutturals or something in there. That'll be, that'll be hard. But this is the Hebrew word ashrei. This is the word we're gonna be tracing the next eight weeks. This word is used 26 times in the Psalms in 19 different Psalms. We are gonna be going over eight of them. Basically, what this word is is what this is, this is describing the person who is happy or blessed. CSB says happy, and a few others say happy. Other translations say blessed. Now, another little thing. There's two words in Hebrew for the word blessed. Ashrei is one of them. The other one is um, Baruch. And what Baruch is, is it's a blessing from the Lord. So if someone is Baruch or Baruched, it means the Lord has blessed them. The Lord blessed David right? The Lord blessed Abraham. He blessed Adam and Eve, said be fruitful and multiply. That's, that's one word for blessed. This word is a different word. It's ashrei, not baruch, and it has a different connotation. What this word means is it's when somebody is looking at somebody who's blessed by the Lord and they're describing them. Does that make sense? So 
The other word is blessed. It's like when the Lord blesses somebody. This word is how you describe somebody who is blessed by the Lord. This is why people say it could be happy. It could be content. It could be flourishing. One scholar actually translates this word as flourishing. It could be blessed. Uh, if you're from, anybody from Australia here? I don't think so. If you're from Australia, they have this phrase, good on ya, mate. Like, good on ya. Like, oh, good on ya, mate. I don't, I think that's how they say it. I'm not gonna try it in an Australian accent. But it's the same idea. Like, oh, you, you're in a good situation. Like, like you're, you're happy. You're blessed. You're content. This is actually the word that Jesus uses to start the Beatitudes, right? It's the same word, but in Greek instead. And it says, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. This is the word we're going to be tracing for the next eight weeks. How is this used in the Psalms? What does it mean? How, did it, how does it describe the person who truly flourishes? Happy. Go back to verse one. Chapter one, verse one. How happy is the one, what are his actions? The one who doesn't do three things. The one who doesn't walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. The happy person, the blessed person, the content person doesn't do three things. Look at the progression. First, you're walking with somebody. Casual stroll, right? And then you're standing with them. Think about if you're like, when you were walking in here, you're walking with somebody, and then you're standing with them. When you're standing with them, what? You're, engage- you're probably face-to-face now. You're engaging in more conversation, getting more intimate, getting to know each other more and more. And then after you stand with them, what do you do next? You sit with them, meaning what? You're gonna be there for a while. You're gonna talk to them for a while. Do you see the progression? If you wanna be flourishing, if you wanna be blessed, you do not associate with the wicked, the scoffers, the sinners. You don't walk with them, right? Because then what will walking with them lead to? Well, walking with them will lead to standing with them, and then you're talking to them for a while. And then you're getting the same ideas and this, that, and the other, and then after that, what do you do? You sit with them, which means that you are partaking with them. You're becoming close friends with them. Now, these three types of people, we have the wicked, we have the sinners, and we have the mockers. The wicked are the morally backwards people, right? Morally backwards people who define good as evil and evil as good. We don't don't walk with them. The people who say, well, this is, I know this is okay. Like, I'm gonna define good and evil on my own. This is okay. This is right. This is good. No. The sinners, the sinners, what what sinners mean is those who miss the target. Well, what's the target in the Bible? It's those who love God and love others. You don't stand with people who don't care about the things of the Lord, who don't care about loving each other. And then finally, the mockers don't sit in the company of mockers. The mockers are the people who can't appreciate beauty at all. They can't appreciate God at all. Everything they do is just a scoff, like a They don't care about anything. Do you know those people? They don't care about anything. They don't care about anything that's different than them, the way they think differently, uh, people who think differently or think, think things differently than they do. We don't walk with the wicked. We don't stand with sinners. We don't sit with mockers. So that's what the happy person does not do. That's what the ashray person does not do. Now, what do they do instead? Verse two. Instead, this person's delight is in Yahweh's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. His delight is in the Lord's instruction. Lord in all capital letters means Yahweh. It's the personal, personal first name of God. So from here on out, I'm gonna be saying Yahweh. 
They delight in the Lord's instruction or the Lord's law. The word here for instruction is the word Torah. It means just the, the scriptures. All of the, all of the instruction of the Lord. The person who truly flourishes in life is somebody who delights in the law of the Lord, in the instruction of the Lord. And then what do they do? They meditate on it. Meditate on it. Now, there's this like super popular Actually, it's not really popular. It's like Eastern meditation is like clearing your mind. You know, like when you hear the word meditate, you might think of like some guy like sitting in like, you know, crisscrossed legs and he's like, um, you know, is that just me? No, sometimes I think of that when I think of meditating. Like somebody who just like is emptying their mind, right? That's the opposite of biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is filling your mind, not emptying it. It's filling your mind. This word is, you guys are getting a lot of Hebrew words today, so I apologize. Actually, I don't apologize. This word is used, uh, the other day I was watching um, National Treasure, no, National Geographic, not National Treasure, and I saw this bear, this video of this bear eating a fish, you know, he's standing in like the waterfall and these fish are flying and he catches it and he walks over and he starts eating it and you could hear him chewing. The word for meditate is the same word right there. It's literally like mulling over, it's chewing on something. This is why if you ever go to Israel or if you meet an Orthodox Jew, when they read the Bible, they do not read it silently in their heads. They literally mutter it out loud, slowly, quietly. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the advice of the... That's muttering. It's also the same word used of a pigeon when a pigeon is cooing. Just like this slow processing, the slow chewing it over and over and over again. This is the opposite of clearing your mind. This is filling your mind and your mouth and your ears and your eyes with what? With the Lord's instruction. Now, what does this look like? What this doesn't mean is this, you know, like you have to wake up at 6 a.m. every morning and read the Bible until you go to sleep, but then it says night, so you have to wake up, you have to stay up 24-7. This does not mean that you have to stay up 24-7, you have to constantly be reading the Bible. What this does mean is that you're filling your mind constantly with the scriptures. What might this look like? Let's take a few verses. Exodus 35, 6 and 7. God's character. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Yahweh is a God merciful and gracious. Yahweh is a God merciful and gracious. Yahweh is a God who's filled with mercy. Do you need mercy in your life? Yahweh is a God who's gracious. Do you need grace in your life? Yahweh is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. Yahweh is a God merciful and gracious, and he's slow to anger. Slow to anger. Man, I need that in my life. Yahweh is a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and loyalty. Abounding in it, overflowing in steadfast love and loyalty. He's not going anywhere. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and loyalty. That's meditating on the law of the Lord. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do you meditate on that? There is therefore now no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. None. Not, if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation for you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Sorry for the uh, abrupt interruption and change of sound. Um, if you need to turn down your volume in your AirPods or in your car or wherever you are, you can do that now. We had uh, technical difficulties at church, um, and by technical difficulties, I mean the wire, the microphone just stopped working. Batteries are fine, um, 
something happened in the signal. We don't know what, but it just stopped working. So we're just going to pick right back up where we left off. And it's Romans 8.1. It's an example of meditating on the law of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ Jesus? Because if you are, then that sin that you are thinking of right now, that mistake you made, that way of life that you had before Jesus is gone. It is not, Jesus is not holding your sin above your head, reminding of you, reminding you of it daily. You know who is? The enemy. So if you have any shame, any condemnation, there is none of that in Christ Jesus. Zero. None. Let's pick another verse. Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How many of your needs? My God will supply all your needs. My God will supply all all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, here's another one. The peace of God, it defies understanding. It's beyond knowledge. You can't comprehend it. Guards your heart and your mind. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus our Lord. The peace of God. The peace of God. The wholeness of God. The shalom of God, the completeness of God that you can't understand. It's going to guard your heart and your mind. Guard it like a soldier, like a fortified wall around a city. It's going to do that to your mind and your heart through Christ Jesus. One day, God will wipe away every tear from your eye. The old things will pass away. Behold, the new things will come. And we will join the chorus singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Jesus Christ is the same today. Jesus Christ is the same tomorrow. Guys, this is what meditating on the law of the Lord does. Now, that's an example. That's like a like 30,000 foot example of what meditating on the law of the Lord can do. I want to ask you something. When I was just doing that, when you do that on your own time, how do you feel? When you meditate on the Lord's character in Exodus 34, on, on the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus from Romans 8, in Philippians 4 19, every single need of yours will be supplied. When you meditate on that, when you fill your mind with it, when you repeat it over and over and over again, how do you feel? I don't know about you, but I feel freedom. Oh, I feel a freedom. I feel like if there was a weight on my shoulders, I feel like it's just lifted off. Another one, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. I feel happy. I feel content. I feel whole. I feel like I need to exhale. You know what that is? That's flourishing. That's the happiness that's talked about here in Psalm 1. And guess what? It doesn't depend on your circumstances. Your life could be falling apart and you could say, I trust that God's throne is in the heaven and his sovereignty rules over all. The Lord's throne is in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. I trust that all things will work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It has nothing to do with your, this happiness, this contentment, this flourishing has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with what do you fill your mind with? Do you meditate on the law of the Lord day and night? Because we just had a we just practiced it right here, right now, and it just it just leads to contentment to your heart, just exhaling. Jesus loves you. God loves you. 
meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. So the actions of the happy person, of the flourishing person, of the content person, the actions is that these people, verse one, it doesn't, this person doesn't walk with the wicked, stand with the sinners or sit with the scoffers, but instead they meditate constantly on the Lord's instruction day and night, filling their mind. What does this look like? Take a verse, take two verses, take a psalm, memorize it, repeat it. And guys, when you think you got it, Say it again. When you think you're like, okay, I have Romans 8, 1 memorized. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Say it again because you don't know if in five months or five years, the enemy is going to come and he's going to bring condemnation in your life. And you need to say in Jesus' name that in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for me. Those are the actions of the happy man. Now, let's get to the image of the happy man. What does this person look like? The Psalms obviously is poetry, so there's a lot of metaphor, there's a lot of imagery. Well, let's look at this together. Verse 3, this is the image. This person, he is, when it says he, by the way, it just means like this person, verse 3. He or this person is like a tree. So what are they like? What's the image here? A tree. Interesting. Okay, so happy people are like trees. That's, you know, I'll just leave that there. Planted beside flowing streams, a river, a tree that's right next to a river. And this tree bears its fruit in its season. And this tree's leaf does not wither. And whatever this person does prospers. What is the happy person like? It's like a tree that has a source of life and is a source of life. Think about this. This person has a source of life. Where are they planted? They're planted right by a stream, a flowing stream or a river, which means what? They're never going to run out of water. They're not, it's not possible for them to run out of water. They have a source of life. And then, check this out, they actually become a source of life. Look, their fruit bears fruit in the season and their leaf doesn't wither. Whenever you go, uh, especially to, re- to um, environments that have a very dry heat, uh, we get really humid summers here in Des Moines or in Ankeny, but... Um, Oh, Des Moines too, whatever. Uh, but one time I, I was in Israel in like September and it was just dry heat. Just the sun was just beating down and it's pretty like, you know, de- some areas, especially where we were, was really desertous. And if you are just on a walk and the sun is beating down on you and you find a tree with leaves on it, in other words, it's casting shade for you, there is a difference between 10 and 15 degrees from when you're standing outside the shade of the tree to under the shade of the tree. In other words, it's 10 10 to 15 degrees, sometimes even more cooler, just by literally walking under a tree. That's insane. You know what that is? When it's really hot, that's a source of life. And the flourishing person, the happy person, who's like a tree planted by streams of water, they have a source of life, the water, and they are a source of life. They bear fruit for people and they, they have leaves that do not wither. And notice it says don't wither, right? No matter the season, if it's winter, if it's spring, if it's summer, if you're in a season in life and you're in the valley of the shadow of death, your leaf doesn't wither. If you're in the the the, the just the, the down and the dump, your leaf does not wither. There are seasons in life and when you're on the highest high or the lowest low, your leaf doesn't wither. And then this last phrase, whatever this person does prospers. I love that. Whatever this person does prospers. That's the image of the flourishing person. Do you want to look like that in life? Look, and think about this too. You all have met those people. I hope you've met those people. I should say that. I hope you've met those people who have been walking with the Lord for like decades. And then when you talk to them, 
when you talk to them, even if you just talk about the weather or something, you leave that conversation and you're like, wow, I just feel free. Like, I don't know what it is about that person, but I just feel more alive. I feel more content. I feel the Lord's presence in my life now. You know what that person is? That's a happy person. That's a flourishing person. That's the person who has a source of life and is a source of life. Do you want to be that person? Do you want to be that person that's constantly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, who leaf doesn't, whose leaf doesn't wither, and whatever you do is successful? Meditate on the law of the Lord. Don't walk with the wicked, stand with the sinners, or sit with the scoffers. That's the image. That's the image of the flourishing person. Now let's look at the image, verse 4, of the non-flourishing person or of the wicked person. Look at verse 4. The wicked are not like this. Well said. Pretty blunt. <laughs> the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff is that outer layer of wheat or of uh, like crops. So in that um, culture, in Israeli culture, like you would chop down the the weed or the barley or the whatever, and the chaff was like that outer layer. And what you would do is you would take these, you know, pitchforks or whatever, and you would, you would toss the wheat or the bar. You would toss the grain, and the chaff was so light that it would literally, like, in the wind, and by tossing it over and over again, it would literally blow away. So what was heavy and what was good and what was like, going to be used for eating and cooking and all that stuff, that would fall to the ground, and the chaff would blow away. They would do this process over and over again. So eventually, by the end of this process, hours later, you would have all the good stuff that fell to the ground and all the chaff, all of it, would be gone. Excuse me, would be gone. The wind would take it away. It's light. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It wouldn't even be used for fires. Like that's how, like sometimes it's like, oh, if the tree, if the tree is bad or the branch is bad, bad, cut it down and throw it in the fire. The chaff wouldn't even be used for fires. That's how like worthless it was. What is the opposite of a person who's planted, who, like a tree who's planted by streams of water is this worthless, useless, thin chaff. That's what the wicked person is like. That's the image. And notice too, I just think this is a cool little, you know, factoid. Look at the, the difference in length of verse three and, the, and verse four. Verse three, there's so many things about this flourishing person, about this happy person. They're like a tree. They're planted beside streams of water. They bear its fruit in their season. Their leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers. Look at verse four. The wicked are like chaff that the wind blows away. Which person do you want to be? Do you want to be the wicked person who just has one sentence and is just like chaff that the wind blows away? Or... Do you want to be a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither and whatever you do, you prosper? Yes, please. That's the image that I want to be like. How do we do that? Don't walk with the wicked, stand at the center, sit with the scoffers and delight yourself in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. The actions, verse one and two, the image, verse three and four, and then finally the outcome, verse five and six. What's the result of the happy flourishing person who's like a tree and of the wicked person who's like chaff. What's the result? What's the outcome? What's the end game? Well, let's look at verse five. Therefore, the wicked who are like chaff, they will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The wicked are not going to be able to stand up in the judgment. When the Lord returns in glory, the wicked will have nothing to stand on. Now, obviously, we know that we have, we have Christ to stand on. 
We have the word of God made flesh, as John 1 says. We have him to stand on. He is our righteousness so that when he returns in glory, we stand on him and him alone. The wicked, they don't have anywhere to stand. They will fall to their knees, unable to stand in the judgment. They cannot be in the congregation and the assembly of the righteous. Verse 6, for Yahweh watches over the way of the righteous. Uh, Other translations have the Lord knows the way of the righteous. I love that. This word here is this like very intimate knowledge. Yahweh knows you. He knows you. He watches over you. He knows you're sitting down and you're standing up. He knows your concerns. He knows your stresses. He knows your anxious thoughts. He knows your sin. He knows your temptation. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows you. He intimately knows you. And he intimately loves you far more than you can actually believe or realize or think. When you are meditating on the law of the Lord, that's what you realize. You realize that Yahweh, the personal God above all gods who created heaven and earth, he looks at you. He watches over you. He knows you and he loves you when you are found in his son, Jesus. That's the outcome of the righteous person. That Yahweh knows you. He cares about you. He watches over you. But the way of the wicked leads to ruin. It leads to destruction. That's the outcome. Now, what's interesting is that every um, scholar I read on, on this psalm, they take this psalm and they go two ways with it. They go backwards to Genesis 1 and they go forwards to the cross. They go backwards to Genesis 1. Think about this, Genesis 1 and 2. What do you find in the middle of the garden, Genesis 1 and 2? You find a tree. It has fruit. And it has leaves, and it's by streams of water. It's the tree of life. Now we know that Adam and Eve were supposed to eat of it, but did not because they were deceived and they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But their, their, their whole point was to eat from the tree of life and live forever. So the, the person who is the Psalm 1 person, the happy person, is like that tree of life in Genesis 1. This psalm points backwards to Genesis 1. This psalm also points forward to the cross. Every, um, in, um, in early church Christianity, I'm sorry, in, early, in the early church, when Christianity was just beginning, uh, the patristics or the early church fathers, they all saw the, the, the cross and Jesus' body on the cross as a new tree of life. And when we partake of communion, when we do what Jesus said and we eat his body and we drink his blood as represented by the bread and the cup, what we are doing is we are eating the fruit of the tree. The tree being the cross, the fruit being Jesus's body, Jesus's blood. And when we do that, what happens? We live forever. When we find ourselves clothed in Jesus' righteousness, washed by the blood of Christ, eating his body, drinking his flesh, or drink, eating his body, drinking his blood, we find ourselves as the righteous person that we could never be because he did it for us. We now find ourselves eating from the tree of life. Every single week we gather, we do this representatively. When we eat of the bread together and we drink of the cup together, and we become what? We become the happy man of Psalm 1. We become the flourishing person. We become planted by streams of water. We don't do it on ourselves. 
or we don't do it by ourselves. We don't just say, you know what, I'm a tree and I'm planted in a really arid desert and I need to uproot myself and I need to plant myself by streams of water. No, Jesus does that for us. He is the living water that we pull our life from and we give that life to others. So if, you, if, you're, if you're sitting and you're thinking about, again, I said there's a lot of lies and there's a lot of noise uh, uh, in this world. If you're thinking about that and if you're thinking like, man, I, this flourishing, I want it, but it seems too good to be true. Here's, here's the call for you. Here's the ask. Ready? Delight yourself in the Lord. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and live. Take, eat his body. Drink his blood. Take the bread. Take the cup. Look to Jesus on the cross, giving his life for you. Repent and believe because he wants to create you to be a new person. This is why Paul says the old is gone, the new has come. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. This is possible. This is possible in Christ. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Mm-hmm.